You are listening to the Mic Drop Sports Podcast, dropping the mic on the top stories in sports. Now give it up for your hosts, Mike Schneid and Zach Stein. Welcome to the Mike Drop Sports Podcast. Zach and I are back after a week off, and a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. Lots and lots to talk about. Zach, a big-time Lakers fan, will give his thoughts on what's going on in L.A. Luke Walton is out. That's not surprising. What is surprising is Magic Johnson resigning last week. Somewhat surprising is Cincinnati's coach Mick Cronin leaving. And new coach hired today. I'll give my thoughts on the Bearcats. NBA playoffs are well underway. Game one, complete in all of the series. And in Major League Baseball, we are a few weeks into the season. Enough that we can make some observations. But let's start with the biggest sports story of the weekend and what might end up being the biggest sports story of the year, Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Yesterday was the greatest day, like, of my life. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I cried the happiest of tears I've ever cried in my entire life. I love golf. I love playing golf. I love watching golf. I've been playing golf since I was about five years old, and then I really started turning up the notch once Tiger started his dominance when back in the, the mid to late 90s. And... To see what he had to go through with all the surgeries, all the injuries, basically almost accepting the fact that he was never going to play golf again or even come close to being the elite player that he was, for him to go out and win the Masters. And the first time he's ever won a major coming from behind as well was the coolest sports moment of my entire life. So I'll say this. Curly, you're a huge golf fan. I am not. I don't tune in. On Sundays at 5 o'clock, I'm not into the Tiger Red. You know, I'm not a golf person. So the fact that I was sitting in a bar at 1.45 yesterday, begging the waitress to get the volume on so I could hear Jim Nance and I could hear the call, that tells you everything you need to know about how big this moment is. Um, The fact that you can get me, you can get the casual viewer into this moment. And I understood the magnitude. I think it's awesome. Good for Tiger. It was so cool to see. And I I think it's awesome for golf. I think any time, you know, for me personally as a, as a casual viewer, I wasn't going to tune in if it was Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson batting for the lead. But because you have Tiger, I'm in. I, I'm into it. I'm fully engaged. Um, everything that Tiger's been through, it's crazy. I have a genetic back issue. I'm not even going to try and compare myself to Tiger. But just on a smaller scale, I know what it's like to go through back pain. The fact that this guy had four surgeries, had the fusion surgery. I mean, he has been through so much. It's a miracle he can even walk and that his body is even put together, let alone winning the Masters. So just an unbelievable story. It, it was so cool. It was, it was just so fun. I started becoming emotional on the 16th hole when he got his two-stroke lead. And I'm like, okay, this is probably happening. And then when it just started unfolding when he got into 18 and it was just <clears throat> so much fun. I was not sitting down. I was standing up watching him. Well, then after he wins, just the crowd reacting to it is something I've never seen before winning a golf tournament. Like obviously you give applause, but they're like, these roars were ridiculous. The, the tiger chanting as he's walking through the, the gallery to, 
to the um, the cabin was chilling, absolutely chilling moment. It was just so cool. Uh, to me, the chilling moment was you see a side by side picture that showed it on CBS. They showed it, you know, it's all over Twitter. The photo of him hugging his father after the first win, and then him hugging his son yesterday. I just thought it was cool that you know, he got to share the moment with his whole family. And yeah, I mean, the the one thing I'm, I noticed again, not a huge golf person, but assuming that when, when Tiger comes. He just gets you and he just blows you out and he just, he's in the zone and he just runs away with it. I know he ended up winning by two strokes, but he never really ran away with it. Maybe it's a different kind of tiger, a different kind of golf strategy now where he, he sort of had to grind through a little bit. He, he had to work for this win a lot more than he's worked for wins in the past. So I can dive into this just a little bit. I don't want to bore our listeners too much, but to go off of that, yes, it's obviously not the same tiger that he was to still win the masters is still an incredible feat. But the reason why he's not running away with anything anymore is the field he's playing against now versus the field he dominated in the early two thousands is completely different golf without tiger in these past five years or whatever was just as good as golf was when tiger was dominant, the fields from top to bottom, the top 30 golfers, all have a chance to win a golf tournament at any given moment. Where back in the nine, like back in the early two thousands, if it wasn't Tiger, Sergio, or Phil winning, like it was a shock. Anyone could go out there and win a golf tournament right now. So it's even more impressive that Tiger went out and was able to beat a field of Brooks Kepka, of Francesco Molinari, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy. Uh, obviously, I'm missing a bunch of Justin Thomas, like Dustin Dustin Johnson. The, the field is so stacked, and all those great players were in contention as well on Sunday, and Tiger was able to play better than all those to get the win and come back. And he did enough to win and win by a stroke. It's, it's really phenomenal. So is Tiger back? Is this, was this just like a culmination of everything that he's been through and the peak, or is Tiger back? Uh, I mean, Tiger's fully back. He was back when he won. I'm blanking on the name of the tournament he won at the end of last year in the season in the playoffs. But when he won that tournament, he was fully back. Obviously, he was flirting with being fully back in the last two majors uh, in the British Open and the PGA. He was right there um, and just missed out. So the fact that now he's basically gone out and won like two of his last like seven tournaments now, he is fully back I uh, but he did say he's going to play a little bit less tournaments than he did last year obviously last year he was really trying to get into shape now that he's in shape he can really pick and choose the tournaments that he wants to be in to make sure that for one his mindset's in the right place his body's in the right place uh and just and he can go and try to dominate and win more tournaments and more majors so here's the big question with tiger and Quite frankly, I'm not educated enough on golf to give an opinion, so I'll let you do it. 18 uh, major victories for Jack Nicholas is the record. Does Tiger get to 19? It, if you asked me this two, three years ago, I absolutely say no. Of course. Um, so it, it's just hard. Obviously, he's older. Um, the good thing is, is with the Masters is he's always going to be able to play in the Masters. So maybe, you know, he's able to – Maybe win, let's say, one more Masters going forward. I, 
he's going to have to go on a tear here in the next two years to to have a chance. I don't think he's going to be able to compete once he uh, hits that 50 range. Um, but eh, I'm going to say no, but I definitely think he's got one to two more in him. I mean, it would be – I don't have a horse in this race, but it would be special to see him at least tie it, to break it. It would, and it would again. It would be so much publicity for golf in general and the PGA. I'm sure, CBS. They would all eat it up to to see him get to 16 or 17 and really oh, absolutely. start to get close. I mean, if he wins another one this year, then we can really start speculating if he's got it in home. But I mean, the fact that he was able to go out and get this is just so cool and so special. I mean, just to put it into perspective, like. Obviously, Michael Jordan was there when we were growing up. But, like, I I personally, like, I was almost too young to appreciate Michael Jordan's dominance. I was not too young to remember Tiger Woods' pure dominance. And from being 10 years old from when he won his first major to now being 31 when he won his most recent one, it's pretty freaking cool that he's won a major in three decades. And I've been alive in all three of those decades it's, it's something it's it's a miracle and it's really cool yeah no it's it's something that you can't take for granted like you said with michael jordan with watching lebron james now watching the patriots it's just it's cool to know that you're watching one of the greatest ever you're watching this unbelievable run it, it's cool it, and it's something you can really truly appreciate even if you're not a guy i'm not a golf fan but i still have an appreciation for their red and black sundays it's just, I mean, it's just really cool. I mean, if you're thinking about it, like, if you're 25 and up, basically, uh, I mean, you had Tiger Woods dominating the sport of golf. You've had LeBron James and Kobe Bryant dominating the sport of basketball. You had Michael Phelps uh, dominating the Olympics in swimming. Uh, and tennis, You, I mean, Roger Federer. And football, Tom Brady. I, it's And then baseball, like Albert Pujols and Ken Griffey Jr. Like, it's... A phenom- I like just growing up with sports in these last thir- 30 years of life is we've been spoiled. It really is amazing. And in terms of dominance, the Warriors have been dominating the NBA now for the last four years. They've won the last two titles. The NBA playoffs tipped off this past weekend. And of course, they were able to handle the Clippers in game one pretty easily. We're now through one game in all the playoffs. I know we didn't really talk last week, so we didn't do an official playoff prediction. But Saturday, we saw three road teams win. I think one of those was extremely shocking to me personally. And not really much excitement yesterday, which is kind of ironic. Tiger Woods just had the whole day to himself. There was really nothing going on in the NBA yesterday. But, you know, we're through eight game ones now. What stood out to you in the first weekend of the NBA playoffs? Yeah, I, I, we're definitely going to agree on the most shocking one. The Magic winning at Toronto was, was <laughs> beyond shocking. Uh, so I learned something interesting on Saturday. So at around 5.30 Saturday, I found out that DJ Augustine still plays in the NBA. Did you know that? <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> wild. Someone like texted me or, or mentioned me like, yo, look at what DJ Augustine's doing. And I'm like, who? What game am I looking at? I was like, <laughs> what? And the fact that he's able to go in to Toronto and just do that is amazing. But I think we brought this up once in a podcast when we talked about the Raptors and, and the future of the playoffs. Kyle Lowry might be the worst all-star in the history of all-star players. Fraudulent. That's the word that I've used in the past. He's the most fraudulent all-star in the NBA. I cannot stand him. I hate the way he plays. 
I don't like his attitude. I just I don't think he's that good. I don't think, I, I think his game one putting up zero points in a home playoff game. I, I I mean, if I'm Toronto, I'd run him out of this city after this year. I don't want him playing for that team. That is inexcusable. They're two and fourteen all time in game ones. That's it's unbelievable. Hilarious. I still think the Raptors are going to win this series, but good for the Magic because I gave them no chance. I honestly, if we had done a podcast last week, I would have told you Raptors in four. Um, I had no idea that DJ Augustine was on the Magic, and I just I didn't have any confidence in them. I haven't watched them play in 10 years since they had Dwight Howard, so I had no reason to believe in them. So good for them for stealing game one. I think they can get another one when they go back home to Orlando, but I have Toronto still Absolutely, Toronto's going to win the series. But super cool for a team with absolute zero playoff experience, top to bottom, in that uh, on that roster. So I mean, to go into a pretty hostile environment like that is playing in Toronto is no joke. That that fan base is awesome, and oh, yeah. to go in there with everyone counting you out as the ultimate underdog, I think in in game ones when it comes to just playoffs aside, like to go in there and win a game. And I think you're right; they can definitely win a home game, especially which is because Kyle Lowry stinks. Um, but yeah, uh, good for them. Uh, and then I know, you know, a couple other road teams win. The Nets winning does not shock me at all. That team is beyond gritty. That team has chemistry. They have talent and they're going to give the Sixers some fits this series. Yeah. It's not that the Nets thing shocks me. It's that when we talked earlier around the trade deadline, I said that Philly was my team to watch to make a run to the finals. And obviously that was contingent on the team coming together and gelling. And I don't think you've seen the chemistry for the past few months. I think they're just, you know, I put so much stock into the fact that, oh, they have four all-stars and then they have JJ Redick. They're so good, but that's what they have. They have four all-stars, four individual players, and you could see it. I don't care if Jimmy Butler scores a hundred points in games two, three, four. I would rather the Knicks go 20 and 62 over the next four years, then sign Jimmy Butler. I think he's a joke. Yeah, I, I don't know what's up. I, and to be honest, I, was, I had a really busy weekend with a bunch of friends in town. Obviously, the Masters was on. I had a wedding. So I really wasn't able to watch any of the NBA playoffs. But obviously, I looked at box scores. I kept up on Twitter. And it just – obviously, he played well. But you're right. I mean, they just have – they have good individual players, and just without chemistry, they're, they should win the series against the Nets. If, if you told me now that the Nets might win the series in six games or seven, like, I'd, like I wouldn't like attack you, but I still imagine that Philly's going to win this in six or seven as well. But I, I don't think, unless this team really comes together now under adversity, I don't see this team beating the Bucks to get to the finals. Right, I agree with that. I don't – yeah, I still think that Philly is going to win this series. I'm definitely not as confident as I am with the Raptors. But, yeah, I mean, even if they get – even if they survive here, they're not getting – they're not even going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They won't beat the Raptors. Um, this Nets team is very good. I mean, they're just – they have that chemistry. That's why. And they just have all these unheralded guys. I love the way that they built this team. Because we all know what happened with the Celtics many years ago. They traded all their draft picks. So I know D'Angelo Russell was a lottery pick, but they didn't take him in the lottery. So they haven't used any lottery picks over the years. Yet they built this very good team with Russell 
and Karis LeVert, Joe Harris from the national champion Virginia Cavaliers. Jared Allen's a good player, even though he he struggles against Joel Embiid. I just the problem with Philly is Ben Simmons can't shoot. Jimmy Butler, everybody hates. Tobias Harris is good, and I don't know how healthy Joel Embiid is. He started out that game really strong. I know you said didn't watch it. He started out strong, but he's hurt. I mean, he's only played a few games over the last month. I don't know how healthy he is, and that's that's going to be a problem because he's important. He's so important. I mean, he's so good. But I, I mean, I remember checking the box score, and I think he started the game like one for ten <laughs> shooting or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he was he was not good, and also not good with the Pacers. I didn't watch any of this. I know you definitely did because it was the same time as the Masters, but. Pacers putting up 74. I mean, come on. Right. And, I, I mean, you got to give kudos <clears throat> to the Pacers. After the Oladipo injury happened, I all of NBA probably counted the Pacers out. They hung in there. They made the playoffs. They got a good seed, the five seed, right? Yeah. Yeah, this, this is the four, four five, five seed. So, they were able to hang in there. And But, obviously, I don't, looking over the standings, it looked like they didn't have that good of a last month. And it really showed. I mean – this is a Celtics team that has its own problems. Obviously, they only scored seven, 84 points themselves in a playoff game, which is really low. Uh, but if that's the Pacers' effort in game one, that they're in big, big trouble this series. Yeah, so I think the Sixers and Raptors win in a grind. And then when you look at the other two matchups, I think Celtics and Bucks both win in four. I'm just not sure that the Pacers have what it takes to match up with the Celtics. And I don't even want to spend time on the Bucks Pistons. That game last night was a joke. Bucks won by 50. And now Blake Griffin's out for the series. Kind of wish we got to see the Heat, uh, see Dwayne Wade go out one last time in the playoffs, or at least see the Hornets with Kemba. But that series is pretty much a joke. Yeah, I, at least, you know what? Give it to the Bucks. They could have easily just been like, oh, Blake Griffin's out. This is a bad Pistons team. They could have tried to cakewalk. They showed up. They, I. I know it's a really bad Pistons team without Blake Griffin. To win by 50 at home, game one, like, that's a statement to the East. They, they have come um, to play. Giannis is on a mission. They made great trades at the deadline. This is a really, really good roster top to bottom. They, uh, they're going to be hard to beat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Absolutely. And they're, I think they're going to win in four, which means I only have another week to use one of my favorite stats. The Bucs have the longest playoff series victory drought in the NBA. They haven't won a playoff series since 2001. It's been so long that the Sacramento Kings, who have the longest playoff appearance drought at 14 years, has won a series more recently. And the Seattle Sonics, who haven't existed in over 10 years, have won a playoff series more recently than the Bucs. So I only have another week to say that, so I want to keep getting that out there. But you mentioned the Bucs dominance. Assuming we do get Bucs-Celtics... I'm I'm taking the Bucks all the way through. They have the MV, my personal MVP, uh, Giannis on the team. I I just love the way this roster is constructed. You have two really good point guards. You have Bledsoe and Malcolm Brogdon. To if if Bledsoe usually gets into some foul trouble, so it's like you have really really good players to complement Giannis and Chris Middleton. I like the Miritich trade, uh, Ursana Lasova. You have guys who can just who can score around Giannis. So, like, Giannis is still going to have to go and probably score 30 points a game average uh, through the playoffs to make sure that they do make it. But, like, 
at this stage of the game, like it's not like a stressful 30. Like he's going to have teammates and it's going to be a different teammate every single game, probably that comes up and has a really good game to compliment him. Yeah. I, they're just such a good and deep team. Like you said, they made so many good moves at the trade deadline. I was questioning the box. I was questioning Mike Budenholzer, questioning their inexperience. And, you know, when we talked earlier this year, I thought that I, I thought Philly would come out of the East. I just thought that they would come together. And I also thought that Toronto would be a force to be reckoned with because of Kawhi Leonard. But I, I think the Bucks come out of the East. I really do. I just think they are – they're too good. And there's too many questions. I don't think there's any questions with the Bucks. At least not as many as there are with the Sixers and the Raptors. At this I just think, like, we talked chemistry with the Nets. This Bucks team has chemistry. They've been – essentially, this roster minus the guys that they got at the deadline – They've been around. They've been playing with each other for a few years, and, and they've gotten some playoff experience recently, and now they're hungry, and they're proving that they're hungry by completely just dominating a really piss-poor team in the playoffs, and that's what they're supposed to do, and they did it. Yeah, I mean, they really – yeah, they did it. They took care of business for sure, and then uh, there's so many questions with the Raptors and the Sixers, but assuming they both survive. Who loses to the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals? Uh, that's, that's tough. Um, <laughs> that is tough. I think it just depends if the Sixers uh, it's can gel really, if Kyle Lowry shows up. But it, it, it's the same thing with the Celtics. And if the Celtics gel, that's a really talented team too. And it's just it's, – it's so weird. And then if Kyle Lowry shows up, like, it, there's a lot of – it's a lot of question marks outside of the – um, the Bucks right now. So, gonna say Philly. It'll be Philly and the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm actually gonna go with Toronto. I, I'm gonna completely back off of my Philly thing from earlier. I just think that I mean Kawhi Leonard is just too tough, and he played great in Game One despite the loss. I think Lowry will get his act together, and he he won't go scoreless again. I do think Toronto can make a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, and I think they'll lose to the Bucs. I, I can see that happening, too. It, it, the East is very blurry right now uh, outside of that one seed. Yeah, it's definitely blurry. The West, a little less blurry. So the West went the way that I thought it would through one game. I love the Spurs-Nuggets series. I don't love it for the Nuggets, though. I think the Spurs, with all their experience – with the depth on their roster and the Nuggets and experience, I like the Spurs to win that series. And they came out there and they really made a statement in game one. I 100% agree with you. I, I've been talking with one of my buddies at work who's from San Antonio, a huge Spurs fan. And he has been telling me for about a month now, he goes, if the Spurs can avoid the Thunder, the Rockets, and the Warriors in the first round, they're going to win a first round series because the Spurs where the Spurs are in trouble is playing against a really athletic team. So they can't handle a guy, a team with that has Westbrook and Paul George on it. They can't handle obviously the Warriors and they can't handle a guy like James Harden running around the court all game. But what they can handle is a team that sort of plays similar to them. And it just showed they're I, I think they're going to beat the Nuggets in five. Wow. I'll say six, but yeah, I mean, I just, yeah, I, like you said, I don't think the Nuggets have the athletics. I don't think the Nuggets have what it takes to beat them. I mean, when you have guys like Derek White, Brent Forbes, combining for 31 points, 
this is just the Spurs are just another level franchise that they just continue to churn out these middle of the road draft picks and turn them into into players. They're, they're very similar to the Patriots. They're just run. Yes, they're very the running with the organization. You have Popovich at the helm. Obviously, I mean, it was Tim Duncan was the guy like Brady. Obviously, he's not there anymore. But you just kind of burn and churn, and you and you get these role players to to play above their level, and that's what the kind of the Patriots have been able to do with some of their players that just rise to the, and it's just, it all goes to the coach. Popovich is just so good. He, he gets his players to play well, specifically this time of the year. And I, I just think it's a good matchup for them and then they're going to advance. It is. I love the Patriots comparison. The only thing is that they actually swapped out their stars here and they haven't missed a beat with DeMar DeRozan instead of Kawhi Leonard. So that really shows you how strong this organization and this coaching staff is that they can just kind of insert all-star here and DeRozan can go ahead and have the most, have his best career, have a career year, have the best stats of his career. Yeah, he's great. And he's a great player for that team and that system. And the Blazers, so the Blazers took game one from the Thunder my man, Enos Canner had a monster game for Portland. Anything – can Oklahoma City recover from this game? So, I did a – I'm in a NBA playoffs pool, and I actually did pick the Thunder to advance in this series. Uh, Enos Canner balled out. I honestly thought that the Nurkic injury was a really bad sign for the Blazers to come. But I don't know. If, if Lillard and McCollum can play as well as they did – in game one, I think they have a chance to win this series. I just think with how good Paul George has been this year, the experience of Russell Westbrook in the playoffs as well, I just think that team is so athletic. And I, I just think they're eventually – like Portland did what they did. I think Thunder is going to be able to steal a game too. They're, they're going to wake up. They, they started off really slow in that game, so they let Portland get off to a nice little lead. I, I don't expect that to happen again. And so I definitely think Thunder – I'm still going to – back to Thunder in the series, even though they lost game one. Yeah, the problem that I have is, the question that I have about Portland is their depth. If, you know, when they take out Lillard and McCollum, who both played almost 40 minutes, can Seth Curry, can Evan Turner, can Rodney Hood, can those guys step up and score when they need to? They didn't in game one. Only Seth Curry had eight points. I mean, nobody else really scored. But I guess it doesn't matter when Lillard and McCollum combined for 54 points. So... Yeah, I, Enos Kenner was amazing. I, I was torn on this last week. I thought that the Thunder could win. Um, I am going to switch now and say that the Blazers are going to win this series. But, yeah, I agree that the Thunder take game two. They'll probably get one at home, too. This could be a, a fun seven-game series. Though. I think these are two very good teams. Oh, and I, I, they're two teams that are fun to watch, too. Um, Absolutely. And just really good scores all, all around. And, and I really like what the Blazers have done. The, this is a really uh, – Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum is one of the best backcourts in the NBA, scoring-wise. And they're just – they were just put together at the worst possible time in the Western Conference Finals when you have the Thunder, the Rockets, the Spurs, the Warriors all there at the same time. But So it's just, you know, I, I think Thunder win, but I would not be upset with – having two series of the Blazers just because of how fun Lillard and McCollum are. Yeah, I just I also think that there's something to last year or three seed like they are this year and they got embarrassed and swept by the Pelicans. So I just 
I feel like they're going to bounce back from that, kind of get over that. And you're right, though. I mean, they really are one of the best backcourts in the league. I don't know why. Every time they get eliminated from the playoffs, it seems like something suggests, oh, they should trade C.J. McCollum for more help. C.J. McCollum is the most help they're ever going to get. I don't know what you're going to yeah, get. Yeah, what kind of two-for-one are but... you going to get from McCollum? Like, he is so good. He's so good. And, it's a and shame. Nurkic yeah, has it's the a best. Shame that they're not on national TV more because more people need to exactly. pay attention to both of them, especially Damian Lillard, who's really right. a, a super. And then their center, he was Nurkic, who's always been a really good player, had a career year, had a terrible injury at the end of the year that blows. But they went and got Enos Canner, who is playing his amazing since he's stepped in. And yeah, I mean, yeah, do they have a little bit of depth issues? Sure, but so do the Thunder, so do the Rockets. And a lot of these teams have depth issues. Yeah, and speaking of the Rockets, they took care of the Jazz in game one. I have the Rockets winning that series. I think they could do it in five, actually. Five, six at most. I'm not sure that the Jazz can really match up well with the Rockets. Yeah, I, I just, the Jazz aren't going to be able to score enough. Like, Harden would have to have a nightmare game for the Jazz to to really eke one out. I think the Jazz can win one at home, whether it's game three or game four. But again, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think the Rockets could take this in five. And I'm going to go Warriors in four. But I got to tell you, I love this Clippers roster. I said earlier this year, I didn't think the Clippers were going to be the one that got in. I thought the Kings would sneak in as the eight seed. Um, I never thought the Clippers had a chance, but this is a fun team with Shai Gilgis-Alexander, Landry Shamit, Patrick Beverly, as scrappy as ever, Lou Williams, my man Danilo Gallinari. It's a fun team to watch. I really hope that they add somebody this summer, whether it's Kawhi Leonard or some kind of superstar free agent. Exactly. This is a really good roster that is missing a superstar. It is. It's, this is, I mean... Talk about a team that has depth. This is a team that has, like, you could say, like, eight players. I'm like, oh, that's a good player. Like, I'd want this guy on my roster. The problem is they just don't have that number one go-to guy every single night, like a Kawhi or Anthony Davis or something like that. If you can add someone onto this team, that's a dangerous team. Yeah, Lou Williams is a great secondary option. He's been killing it as the go-to guy for them. I just don't think... You're going to go very far in the playoffs with Lou Williams as your go-to guy. They're going to get swept, and there's no shame in that if you're the Clippers because, they're like you said, they have so much depth. They're set up for success. They're going to be the team. I mean, all this talk about the Knicks getting this guy, the Nets, and Clippers are set up for success moving forward. Yeah, they sure are. Uh, I mean, you got the roster that's ready to win, and the good thing is, is like, it's just – it's composed with so many good role players. So if a superstar wants to just come in there as the sole superstar, that's exactly what he's doing. He's coming in as a superstar to lead a team that's ready to win. And that's kind of cool. And then once we get past the fluff of the Jazz and the Clippers, we get Warriors Rockets, which should be awesome in a rematch of last year's Western Conference Finals. Do you give the Rockets a chance? No, not even a little bit. Warriors are just... (laughs) They're still going to be too good. Like it's the Rockets. They have Harden. They have Gordon. There's still just not enough firepower there. I agree. There's no. 
they need more than just Harden and Chris Paul. Put on put Kawhi on that team, then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you have the Warriors presumably beating in the West? Yeah, I, I I mean it's it's gonna be tough, but I do have the Thunder going all the way to the finals. Okay, and I'm gonna go with the Blazers. And then the Blazers beat the Spurs, and you'll take the, the Thunder. So that's funny. The so Spurs we think the then... winner of the the Blazers Thunder series uh, is going to be able to go through. And I, I'm I'm not might disagree with that. I, I think the winner will. If the Blazers do get out of there, I think that bottom part of the the bracket there is favorable to get through to the finals. Yeah, and I think the Spurs Spurs Blazers is an interesting matchup. The Spurs would have a much better time beating the Bla- – or much easier time beating the Blazers than they would the Absolutely. Thunder. I'm not sure that they can keep up with Russ and Paul George. So, that'll – I mean, either way, it'll be a very fun matchup. But I don't have much confidence in the Nuggets at this point, despite being the number two seed. No. Again, it's just the Nuggets – I mean, obviously, Jokic is incredible. They have another really deep team. That's a team that needs that Jokic needs a compliment as a superstar, and then that team could be a serious contender. Yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, this isn't even a fun, a fun preview because we all know what what's going on and what's to come with this preview. But Warriors over the Bucks. How many games do you give the Bucks in the final? I'll actually give them six. <laughs> I'll I'll give them six. I think. All right. I think the Bucks have a roster composed where they can score enough. And then they can defend well enough. That Giannis Durant finals matchup is a dream. That that's a dream. Yeah, it's it a dream. And um, I, I think Bledsoe's Bledsoe is pesky enough on the defensive end to bother Steph enough. Obviously, Brogdon is super good defensively as well. So it's just I think the Bucks could maybe steal one in, in gold in Golden State if not win two at home in that series. All right, I'm going to go five. I'm going to say that my favorite thing to do is to pick a team that wins their first home game. So I'll say that Milwaukee coming back home in that new arena, the first finals game in like 40-something years, I'll take them to win game three, and I'll take the Warriors to win the other four. That's fair. I, 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 it's definitely the finals I want to see. I, I, I just think that Giannis versus Durant matchup is, is just would be so fun for at least four or five games. And it's just for me, it's fun. I just want to see something new. I mean, giving the Bucks, giving Giannis that kind of platform in the finals, giving the city of Milwaukee this much attention. I mean, it'll just it'll be a fun series because I think the I just I think the Bucks are a very very good team. And I think the public just rooting new blood and I the think finals. the public rooting interest would side with the Bucks because of the newness of the a new finals team. And of a star like Giannis, who is very likable. And just the boredom of exactly. the Warriors. I don't think I don't know too many people outside of myself that's rooting for the Warriors at this point. No, I mean, I so respect one, dominance, but at, at the same time, I'd, I'd love to see the Warriors go down. Do I think it's going to happen? No, but it'd be fun if uh, at the different team won the, the championship this year. I mean, I would love to see Portland. <laughs> Give me Portland-Milwaukee in the finals. That I'd, love that. I'd love that. I just don't see it happening. I mean, look, you and I would love it. I think ABC yep. would hate it, but I don't really care about I the ratings. About I want to see Lillard. And I want to see Lillard. I want to see Giannis. I want to see these guys get the platforms that they deserve. That'd be fun. 
Yeah, one team that didn't make the playoffs that'll try next year are your Lakers. Um, not surprisingly, they fired Luke Walton. Very surprisingly, Magic Johnson quit out of nowhere. Sounds like he'd rather use Twitter than work, which I asked my wife. She said, I can't quit my job. I, I can tweet and work, but I can't be unemployed and tweet, which is what Magic Johnson's doing now. Um, would love to get the state of the Lakers in, from your POV as a Lakers fan. This is very weird. Um, <laughs> the, the day that he resigned, uh, I'm in a text thread with my fantasy basketball league. I'm not going to give up my source here, but we, we get an anonymous <laughs> tip from someone who has connections to the Lakers organization who said the reason why Magic stepped down was due to a sexual harassment case. And he resigned suddenly. He said the weirdest excuse ever that he'd rather tweet. And then it kind of, <laughs> and the story kind of just got swept on the rug. He, the other night, he dismissed some misconduct charges against him. And he goes, I just, I treat my employees hard or whatever. And it kind of got swept on the rug. So I don't know if the source is right that a story's coming about this or not. It just seems fishy to me that he did it when he did it and the reason that he's giving for it. So I don't know. I don't want to be here screaming like you heard it here first if this charge does come down or whatever, but it's fishy. I don't know. It, if they wanted to keep Magic around to get LeBron, then Michigan's success, but the Lakers are a full-blown disaster right now. I don't, I don't care what you have to say about it. They have a talented group of young players that didn't come together with LeBron. This was a terribly disappointing season. Obviously, the LeBron injury didn't help, and I think he probably came back a little bit too soon, and that didn't help either, but I, if I'm a superstar, I don't know if I want to go play with the Lakers because they're just a mess. Yeah, I mean, the Magic Johnson thing was weird. And the awkward part about it was how he was saying that he didn't want to talk to Jeannie Buss because he thought Jeannie would talk him out of it. So he basically told Rachel Nichols, hey, I'm quitting. Go tell the world. That was a little awkward to me, the way it all went down. Uh, and then, of course, a few days later, they fired Luke Walton. So, if you were running the Lakers, would you just clean house at this point and fire Rob Palenka? I mean, what do you even, where do you even go from here? I thought the Palenka hire was weird to begin with. Obviously, that was Kobe's agent. Uh, that was just, you know, a nod who's been dealing with the organization for such a long time. Uh, I, I would clean house, to be honest. Might as well start fresh. You have LeBron on the three-year deal. Uh, just, just clean house. Get some fresh perspective. You need to go out and attract superstars to come play with LeBron, not trade these guys away either. And you need someone who can that out. I don't know if Polinka's the guy. Who's your guy as the head coach? <laughs> the names I keep saying are just hilarious, but – I think Tyron Lue <laughs> makes the most sense. LeBron's familiar with him. LeBron's won with him. Uh, Tyron Lue was a Laker, so there's that nice little reunion there. Uh, I, I, I would say give Tyron Lue a shot and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, I said that a while ago. I think it, it's always made the most sense. Monty Williams intrigues me. Uh, he does have 
obviously experience with the Pelicans. The only thing that concerns me about Monte Williams is what's his relationship like with Anthony Davis? If you're trying to acquire him and sign him long-term, is that going to help or hurt your cause? And I mean, who knows the name that I saw that's most interesting to me is Juwan Howard. And Juwan, if you're listening to this, I doubt you are. Do not take this job. I think Juwan Howard could be a rising star in the coaching ranks. I think he'll be a really good head coach. I think the Lakers are way too toxic, have way too many issues, and Juwan Howard will fail immediately. Similar to Luke Walton. They're in a similar position where he's been a career assistant, kind of worked his way up the ranks, and look at what happened to Luke Walton. I think the same thing will happen to Juwan Howard. I hope he gets a head coaching job somewhere. I just really hope that it's not with the Lakers. I agree. You need someone to come in here with some experience. Um, They can be as exciting as prospects as possible, but Luke Walton struggled, like you mentioned. It'd be the exact same for Juwan Howard. I know, obviously, LeBron's been buddy-buddy with Juwan Howard as well, as Juwan was at the end of the bench with uh, Miami while he was there. Um, but I just don't see it as a good fit now. Yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. I don't think it's good for Howard's career. But, of course, they literally just did this, the Lakers. So, I know he's buddy-buddy with LeBron. But at this stage, does LeBron need a buddy? I just feel like he needs someone to actually – coach him and actually help him out. I don't know that a, that a buddy is right. I is don't think so either. In other coaching news, I've been beating the drum for months during March Madness that I don't want Cincinnati to fire McFernan, but I don't want McFernan to leave. And on the note of LA and coaches, McFernan left last week. After 13 years at Cincinnati, he's off to UCLA. I wrote a lengthy, ridiculous article on MikeDropSports.com showing my appreciation for Mick. All the, all the shitty times, all the good times, the time that we lost to Wofford, my fourth game as a student, that time we lost to 0-18 DePaul, those two times we won uh, conference tournament championships and those nine straight NCAA tournaments. Earlier today, Cincinnati hired Northern Kentucky's John Brannon. Actually, they did it at the same time that Tiger was about to win the Masters. So... I'll never forget where I was the day the Tiger won the Masters because it was the moment that Cincinnati announced their head coaching hire. I love it. I'm super pumped. All indications are that he's going to bring in a fast-paced offense. Cincinnati is used to scoring 50 points per game. So it sounds like there will be a faster pace, some press. Hopefully he brings in some new blood as far as coaches and recruiting styles. He seems like he wants to connect with the alumni, with the fan base a little bit more, maybe than McCronin did. I think it'll be nice after 13 years. As much as I wanted to retain Mick, I think it'll be nice to have some new blood and some new ideas. I just I hope that you can keep the roster intact. I know a lot of people have kind of mocked the idea of, oh, why would anybody transfer? But we've already had two guys transfer now. It's just a casualty of the coaching changes, and it happens all the time. So I wanted a guy with head coaching experience. That's what they got. I did. I adamantly did not want Nick Van Exel. I really did not want Frank Martin. This was the right move. Get a young, hungry guy, even if he leaves in a few years for a bigger job. Let him come here, and hopefully he can coach up Cincinnati and keep that tournament streak going in 2020. Uh, as a guy who went to Indiana and who has experienced new blood a couple times since I've gone to college there with Tom Crean and now Archie Miller, I am excited for – for your Bearcats, obviously, you know, Mick was a model of consistency there with making the tournament for 13 years. But sometimes consistency just isn't enough. 
And, you know, it, it's exciting, it, especially you mentioned it. It's going to be a different kind of coaching style. And scoring points in college basketball is fun. It's not, it's, it's not always fun to be a 50-point score, 60-point scoring team. So just being able to change uh, philosophies a little bit can, can just be an exciting time for a program. Yeah, I think the most disappointing thing is that the Horizon player of the year, Drew McDonald, has no more eligibility. Would have been nice to see him transfer from NKU to Cincinnati for his last year. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see some new ideas, some fresh blood in the building. And I know that he did his press conference on Monday. I know that the fans are very energized by him. He seems to have a lot of big ideas and he wants to get right to work. So I think the biggest thing was him having the full support of the fan base. There was such a divide, especially over the last couple of weeks, McCronin and his style, the way he recruits, and just, yes, nine straight tournaments is, is nice, but people wanted more. I get it. There's excuses, and there's reasons why he never made it further, and I was okay with that. But I'm also okay with maybe we miss the tournament once every couple of years, but then we get a little bit further the years that we make it. So we'll see. This guy has made the tournament two of the last three years, and he took NKU basically from Division Two straight into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so it's a very fun hire. It is. I, I hope it is. So, And it, it kind of gets away from the Bob Huggins cycle, finally. And then we are a few weeks now into Major League Baseball. When you look at the, the standings, there's a few things that you kind of seem like they're upside down, especially from the, the predictions that we gave earlier this year. What stands out to you through the first couple of weeks of the baseball I'm going to jump right to the AL East. I'm not concerned <laughs> yep. about the Yankees. They had Stanton <laughs> and, and Duhar immediately go on the DL. That's two really big bats out of the lineup right now, which, which just stinks. But they're, they've sort of warmed up a little bit recently. Uh, I sort of mentioned that the Tampa Bay Rays were going to go unnoticed, but very solid team. Tampa Bay Rays are good. This is no joke. I I'm going to go back to that and say this is a team and they don't underestimate them. The Red Sox, they stink. They <laughs> have – there's no excuses. There's no injuries there. This is a bad baseball team right now, and they have to be extremely disappointed coming up a World Series win right now. Yeah, we both had the Red Sox. We both had the Red Sox picked for a wild card, but we both assumed that it was well over 100 wins for them. They're definitely a disappointment. Their pitching staff is atrocious. I think Chris Sale is 0-3 with an 8 ERA, something like that. I think, Yeah, I think the Yankees will be fine. They're just, there's injuries with the Yankees, and their offense is fine. It's the pitching, and it's, it's what I said throughout the whole offseason. I see people crying every day on the radio and on Twitter that, oh, we should have signed Machado, we should have signed Bryce. Bryce Harper and Manny Machado wouldn't help them right now. They can't pitch. James Paxton's been terrible. J.A. Happ has been terrible. So, at some point, the Yankees are going to have to unload their farm and go get Madison Bumgarner or go do something because they need an elite pitcher. I think they'll be okay. But, God, the Rays are 12 and 4. The Rays are That's good. I, uh, that, <laughs> and, and the reason why they're good is because specifically because of the package of players they got for trading Chris Archer. Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows have been phenomenal. 
absolutely phenomenal. They were both huge prospects that really didn't pan out well with the Pirates at all. And here they are thriving with the Rays. So good for them. Good for the Rays for making a great trade. And, and good for the Rays for just being good, although they, they still have no fans. <laughs> and they kind of – that also felt like a weird trade when it was made last year because Archer still had years left right. on his deal. But, yeah, I mean, they certainly hit a home run with that. Um, the Mariners are surprised. I'm shocked to see them at 13-5 and five with one of the best records in baseball. I think that's one of those things where the Yankees will do better. They will improve. I think the Mariners will regress, and they'll kind of get back to the median. They'll kind of get back towards 500 as the season goes on. Um, the NL East really stands out to me. I know you were very, very, very down on the Mets. But also, I was very high on the Nationals, and so far we're both wrong. The Nationals have been terrible. Mets have been okay. Mets have been much better than I thought. That lineup is more improved than I thought. Um, I, I still think they'll be very Mets-ish and still maybe finish around 500 for the year. But hats to them for coming out strong at the beginning of the year. I know Mets fans are more engaged with the team that plays better. So hopefully for you guys, <laughs> they can continue playing well. Uh, the Phillies look tough, though. Those look great. I mean, that, you were spot on with that uh, through two weeks at least. I mean, you had the Phillies running through this. I thought they would start slow, and that's why I had them as the wild card. But, no, I mean, they, they had the three all-stars. They haven't missed a beat. They flew out of the gate. They were the last team to lose a game. And, you know, I think it'll be a battle all year in the NL East, but I think they'll ultimately pull away. And clearly the Phillies are, are, are the team to beat there. Problem with the Mets is that the last two starts, Jacob DeGrom has looked human. So if you if he's human and you're struggling with the bullpen, the Mets are going to be in trouble. All four of these teams are struggling with the bullpen. Can somebody please sign Craig Kimbrell? Can it be the I, Mets? I, the, bull, the Nationals? Bullpen problems. I will, I will talk about Kimbrell as well. Bullpen issues is a common theme around baseball right now, especially with good teams that we predicted. I mean, the Nationals should be throwing 30 mil at this guy. Look, I don't like the Nationals, but and forget about the fact that I picked them to win this division. They have to throw 30 million at Kirk Kimbrough. Their bullpen is literally the worst in baseball. Up until last week, they had a guy with an infinity ERA that they were running out there every night. They are, uh, their bullpen's stinky. Cubs' bullpen is trash. The Red Sox' bullpen is trash. The Dodgers' bullpen is trash. Those are four teams we all predicted to make the playoffs. Essentially, are I mean, we, you, you had them. I mean, so about four teams that were discussed as playoff teams in our last podcast, and they, all these teams have terrible bullpens, and that's an issue. And Craig Kimbrell is a free agent. I can't stress this enough that all these teams have issues, and Craig Kimbrell is actually available to be signed and pitch immediately. Makes no sense. Cubs have been pretty bad. Cubs huh? have been real bad. Uh, their their starting pitching has been less than desired, and then their bullpen is atrocious. It's so they it it's been crazy. The the over as for their games have hit at an astronomical rate. It started off the year at seven zero in one their first eight games that the over hit, and then it took a little bit of a, a slide. But I think that it it's like eight hundred percent hit rate right now which is insane what's the mood in chicago are they are, are they gonna fire joe uh madden? joe madden people i calling for his uh, head? yes people are calling for his head uh but the consensus is 
They don't want to fire him this year, but in the offseason, they are sick of his antics, sick of his managerial style, and they want him gone. Padres flying out of the gate in the West. Dodgers are at 500, and the Rockies suck. The Rockies are surprising to me because I thought they would be a playoff team, but uh, what's going on with the Dodgers? Um, I mean, Kershaw's back tonight, so that's exciting. Um, so hopefully that, that means good, but I, the Dodgers offense was off to a historic pace to the season, but their bullpen is trash and their starting pitching hasn't even been that good, but uh, it's been injured with Kershaw and Rich Hill being dinged up. So hopefully, uh, they're on ESPN tonight in an hour actually. So hopefully, uh, Kershaw can, you know, look very Kershaw ish and get this team back to its winning ways, but I'm not really, uh, I'm not too worried about the Dodgers as of right now. Obviously you mentioned the Padres and when we did our baseball preview, I kind of mentioned that the Padres can go one of two ways this year with the moves they made. They can either, you know, be a pesky team that just doesn't have enough experience uh, to really contend, or they can have like an Atlanta Braves type year last year. And right now they're trending towards that Atlanta Braves team last year where this team is winning games. Yeah, I think, yeah, so I mean, for me, it's the NL East being so competitive and the Yankees, I think they'll be okay. And the Rays being as good as you said they would be um, are really my big takeaways from early on. Yeah, and the AL Central is so boring. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I glossed over that. I mean, it, that is what I thought it would be. I thought the Twins would be in first. It's as um, boring as not... a baseball division as you could ever get. There's no star power. There's, there's just nothing. Uh, I mean, the White Sox are semi-entertaining to watch just being here in Chicago because their overs hit a lot of the time as well, and they have a young core of uh, players as well. But, uh, yeah, that, that division is stinky. And then how about Chris Davis? You have one Chris Davis who might be the MVP favorite through a couple of weeks, and another Chris Davis who finally got a hit, <laughs> ending his over infinity streak. There was a part of me – that was rooting that Chris Davis would never get a hit again. Oh, of course. I was too. I mean, you have to. was just. I mean, look, I, I get it. I'm sympathetic to the human being, but to the baseball player that's making $22 million, I mean, honestly, do your job. Get a right. hit. Like, you would think in a streak of hitless at bats, you could close your eyes, make contact, and it would bloop in there eventually. Nope. I mean, obviously, he finally got a hit, but it's like. It, that's almost as impressive as DiMaggio's streak. <laughs> it, it might be. All right, we covered a lot. Baseball, NBA playoffs, the Lakers, Cincinnati, golf, anything else? I apologize to any hockey fans out there, but me and Mike Schneid, we don't know enough about hockey. <laughs> we we could try to talk about some games and, and some stuff. I saw a highlight that Ovenchkin, like knocked some dude out in a fight tonight. That was cool. But uh, I heard about uh, that. I have it in my queue. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, but we're, I, we're not going to be really diving into any hockey talk, so we apologize about that. I actually know one thing. I know that there's this, this curse, this jinx, that if you win, I guess if you win the President's Cup, if you have the best record in the regular season, you very rarely win the Stanley Cup. Sounds like the Lightning won, had the best record by about 20 games. They're down 3 nothing to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah. 
That's pretty wild. It's amazing. And the Blue Jackets have never won a playoff series in their franchise's history. They're about to do it against the best team. And it's also wild. I, I saw a graphic today, too. I thought – I, I don't know if, it, if the – if Tampa Bay had the best NHL record of all time, but it was on a graphic where it had – so I think it might have been true, where it was the best team record in every sport has never won uh, the – NBA Finals because you had in, in NFL the seventy three yeah, Warriors. You had the seventy three Warriors. They lost. You had the one hundred twenty plus win Mariners. They lost. Uh, the sixteen no Patriots lost. Um, and now it's the Tampa Bay Lightning are down three nothing. Like going out and having the best season ever is a curse. Wow! How about that? What a great stat to end this on. Yeah. So, note to any athletes listening, do not have the best record of all time. You will never, ever win the championship. All right, thank you all for listening. This was a blast. Next week will be one of my favorite shows ever because I'm obsessed with the NFL draft. I watch every single pick. I'm the loser that sits at home on Saturday by myself watching every single pick, dissecting it all, and... We'll talk about the draft. We'll do a mini mock draft next week. I'm excited. I got to do my prep. (laughs) Thanks, thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you next week.